I don't think I anticipated just how hard it would be to make the introduction for a podcast uh, that is having its inaugural episode, but is also designed for such a specific audience. But here we go. Uh, this is Sound and Process, a, an exploration of the online community Lines. Uh, and in case you've somehow stumbled on this uh, through some other way, Lines is the name of the forum that houses discussion around the grid instrument and Eurorack module maker Monome. Uh, and Lines is a bit of an oasis. It's somehow become the meeting hall of electronic and experimental musicians around the world uh, and is a safe space for them to engage with each other in incredibly deep and respectful discourse even beyond the instruments that brought them together. I joined it about uh, four months ago, and it's provided me an education, to say the least, but it's also given me a home. Uh, I know that I wouldn't be able to make the music that I want to make if it weren't for these people's uh, examples uh, and their guidance. Um, so the inspiration for this came together uh, from a post by Ray Tracer, who was looking for a section of the forum to focus on how we use the gear that's brought us all together in our music. And I responded with something about how I always wanted to ask a million questions, but worried that it would clutter the stream, to which Jason W., in his always kind way, replied that he'd love it if the stream were cluttered with this sort of stuff. So the way that made sense to me was for the producing members of our community to share their process in making uh, the works that they've put out. But there's something about that living exclusively in text that just didn't make sense to me. Uh, I think the thing at the heart of Ray Tracer's request was for something closer to real life, something closer to how we would engage if we'd all met at a show or lived in the same city or knew each other through, uh, through a scene. And also, as a new member of the community myself, I'd been craving that, especially in my first month. Uh, I was just so hungry for anything that presented the history of the instrument or the history of the community or specifically how people use the gear. Uh, so at that point, I'd been listening to Glia's Macarnas pretty extensively, um, and I found myself wondering, how the hell did this get made? How did he arrive at this? What was his process? So I sent Glia a message while on a slightly tipsy walk home one night, uh, and I asked if we could have a conversation over the phone that I would then record, and if it was something worthwhile to put out, that we would put it out. And uh, he agreed because he is incredible. Um, and this episode is that conversation. Uh, now, it's been uh, streamlined from two and a half hours down to what you've got here, which was actually insanely difficult because of how engaging and smart Jonathan is. Jonathan is Galio's offline name. Uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect uh, or if it would turn into something uh, that would be worthwhile to share, but Jonathan uh, is just an overwhelming joy to speak to, and it was pretty effortless, and he had some incredible thoughts. So that's how we got this episode. Um, at the end is a piece of his that had been previously unreleased, so make sure you check that out as well. Uh, and thank you for checking out Sound and Process. Uh, I, uh, it's made for the community of which you're a part. Um, and if you're not a part of it yet, come be a part of it. We'd love to have you. The anonymity of being online, I think, is the exact like impulse that I was coming from to, but in the way that I'd wanted to like destroy that.
Yeah. Like, because we are a community of people that are uh, separated geographically and we get to kind of control what it is that we're putting out there and control yeah. the way that we even, you know, have dialogue with each other. Yeah. Um, and so there was something interesting too about like kind of making a living document, like I said in the message, uh, having a living document to supplement yeah. uh, the forum. So, yeah. Appreciate you being the test subject. <laughs> It's so weird because I'm not a. There's a lot of people in the modern community, whatever, who are like literally professionals. They make a living either DJing or producing music. For me, it's completely uh, on the side. And I've, I've come to grips with that because at a point I would have wished otherwise, but I, I'm not really pursuing anything beyond that. So, really, what music ends up being a lot of times is reminders of things that I want to remember and I'm learning Persian I started learning the language I'm really into language and like how language um, affects music around the world and even like culturally modern language compared to modern music um, archaic or older whatever so like Mokarnas for me it was something I ended up reading about and just like fascinated me and that was probably like 10 years ago and I started working on more stuff after and that was before I started learning Persian so then when I started learning Persian each of the other songs were just like I might have learned that word that day or the concept something cultural about the the concept that the word or name represents so like the first act uh, half that was a kind of a bonus track, kind of supposed to be a tape-only bonus, but uh, the guy the guy who was putting out the tape liked it, so my intentional first track is um, the same title, it's just like my own little code, because it's V, Rangi, but uh, V is how you actually write the, it, it means, and now I'm kind of rambling, after Rangi, basically Pathrangi is Persian for seven colors. It's a, like, tile ceramic production technique that was used way back in the day. Um, and nobody really uses it anymore, but the stuff from that era was really beautiful and vibrant. So I named that first track that because it was something I'd worked on, and it just surprised me how much I enjoyed the melody that came out. interesting to list uh, as a listener to uh, explore a completely instrumental record uh, yeah. and then hear that the maker <laughs> is deeply invested in words yeah I guess that's somewhat counterintuitive to the way other people work because they would be like hey I'm learning this language or I'm really interested in words it's like a, a no-brainer you end up incorporating vocals, whether it's your own or collaborating with someone. Yeah, or um, even samples <laughs> or anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, there's nothing, as much as there's like a distinct and deliberate um, 
Persian influence. There's not like any samples from any Persian, even though I love Persian traditional music, I have a ton of it. Um, and some modern electronic music from, from Iran and Afghanistan and other places. But, uh, no, no samples from any, any Persian culture. There's no, um, I guess, really direct connection in that sense. Yeah, so for me, there, and there's probably more, like, elaborate words for this, but the music, the music is encoded for me, and it's not, I. it's cool that other people can appreciate it and uh, take something out of it but that's one of those things where I guess my first exposure to being able to have fun with things like that is with poetry and I actually used to write a lot and it always amazed me that it's being so obvious why I wrote it and without fail when I shared it with other people they never were able to decipher what I had put in there that seemed so, like, plain. And eventually when I began to make music, then I, well, first of all, with the poetry, then I've, that kind of power to be able to have multiple meanings yeah. assigned and to be entertained as the person who initiated the idea or the dialogue to then hear the other side of the conversation when someone told me what how it made them feel or what they thought the collection of words meant was fascinating. That's basically also why I share it because you can talk all you want about you're doing it for yourself, but if you're sharing your work, you want a reaction. You want other people to see it and hear it and, and feel it. So um, I guess choosing instrumental work to represent linguistic ideas is because to me all all language language what fascinates me usually about language is the phonology or the sound mm. and the phonetics the meanings of words are important the way they're used to reinforce and expand culture is important but my favorite languages Farsi Persian included but like Spanish, I took in school, per, um, Portuguese, I've had a real uh, interest in for many years. It's the rhythm and the way that things are delivered. Even the vocal music that I like, regardless of what language it's in, generally speaking, it's probably appealing to me because of rhythm rather than, and pure melody rather than even getting into the meaning or harmonies or other more complex things that are usually associated with Western music. So, yeah, that's a, that's a long answer to basically just say, I'm, I see, I think it's more challenging and entertaining to write currently, at least. I'll probably change my mind in a couple of years to write non-vocal music, especially. And then that's where I guess, Titling becomes so much of an important aspect in my mind because then if that's the only verbal communication that you're able to give as a clue to whatever you wanted to communicate, then you can really start to have fun with it.
read uh, Curtis Rhodes' new book? No, I haven't. I've, I've Curtis Rhodes is kind of interesting. I want to see why you mentioned that. But yeah, uh, one of the people who I consider a big influence on why I even still make music and make electronic music in particular, uh, actually studied under him, I think. And I had first heard of him years back, but I've never actually read one of his books. There's this one thing where he mentions, he's like, uh, he breaks down a little bit the... Uh, that music is essentially an emotional experience. It's an emotional art form uh, in a way that uh, writing or uh, a movie or something like that plays on a couple different parts of our psyche and our, um, you know, our understanding of self and blah, blah, blah. But music really comes in the core of the emotional part of a human being. And if necessary words can be used to illuminate or to guide a listener uh, and, and to kind of enter into a liminal space. Um, but that ultimately, its main purpose is to be subliminal. I guess, yeah, music, to, to separate it from emotion is, is a crime. And it's a crime. And I don't want to say a crime because... Then you get into what is contradicting itself. Then you get into what really is art, and I'm not I'm not here to tell somebody because that is some people's whole goal is to make music that is detached, to make something that um, you wouldn't be able to pin down to the artist or the specific era or what even the instrument used. Uh, and that's just not what I'm interested in. The music that's always resonated with me was extremely uh, rooted in emotion. And uh, I think that's that's the easiest way to make it authentic. I mean, each, each person has different, different emotional makeup, that's like a, a fingerprint. So whatever tools you have, whatever skill level you have, is going to have a bearing, but yeah, I mean, to be able to encapsulate that, and the fact that really, music, the reason why music is emotional, and has an effect on us in a way that other art doesn't, is because music is, is, is taught, music is organized time, that's actually something, um, Carl Fusek and I were, were talking about, based on, um, an interview Mark Fell did, and I love that, because I always feel like, to me, what's changed my music for the better in the past couple of years is I view music as rhythm period everything I've ever learned about music that was of interest to me and that's music in in its entirety where sometimes people are really they say music and they mean music they like or music from their culture or music from their era but when you look at a cross culture cultural lines, you look across what's being made today, how it's different from what was made 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, music, to me, all of the intervals, even the, what is a chord, what is the melody, it's, it's, it's people will break it down to be math, but they make it math and think of in terms of the the harmony and the melody, which I'm just not terribly interested in. But when you when you break it down into rhythm, it makes sense to me. 
and it it would make sense to almost anyone whether they could read music, whether they were using digital acoustic, they're from where you're from. If you could somehow use a time machine and work with someone in the past, yeah. Like to be organizing time is why music touches us. Like when it's when you listen to a track and it it felt like five minutes and it was fifteen minutes or the other way around. It felt like forever and you look at the track length and it's like that was two minutes and thirty three seconds. So that plays on and the reason why it does that is because it, it's touching touching on an emotional level. artist and also listener i mean because because each one of us is in that interesting position working with electronics rather than a you know an individual stringed instrument where we are simultaneously uh listening and performing uh uh in a i think a more heightened way than uh, a single traditional instrument can uh can provide you the opportunity to do and so for you making a track of that length uh what goes what goes into that like uh is there intention to uh creating a form and almost getting into the idea of like aural storytelling where you're like no i have to not yet not yet i have to slow this down bring this back um like how how meticulous is specifically the take that's on the album uh for you uh, i believe very strongly in improvisation and the more comfortable I've gotten with my tools, the more strongly I believe, or it's more evident, maybe. Um, my background, musical background, which is a very natural way to get into that, I'm, I'm a jazz guy. Um, that's it. I, but I've never... I played drums as the only instrument I could, like, if I had to step into your traditional style, maybe jazz group, which I've done on occasion and hated somewhat. I mean, Im improvisation is it. And the improvisation is what I've studied. Everyone, I guess, has, um, they study what they're passionate about. And the beauty of the internet and the beauty of me not ever intending to really make money off of this or be famous is that I could study whatever I wanted on a whim. And I spent years studying improvisation informally. And so... I take away what I want to take away from different performers. Um, it comes back around to a lot of the people on the forum, too. Uh, a huge influence the past couple of years just because of his writing and documenting in audio and video is Rodrigo Consenzo, the guy from Manchester. He's crazy. And I guess it's, I've, I've emailed him and been like, I just like seeing some of the way he does things because I thought this is just me being weird, but in a way, he's better at articulating certain ideas as far as improvising with electronics and software. And um, It just was like confirmation in a lot of ways. So yeah, for me, there's, no, there's not 
when you're making a song is not the time to be thinking is my feeling as an improviser what what you do before you are recording is what prepares the form what you do as far as choosing which instruments you are going to use during that recording what you've listened to recently um you have control over it certainly but I find that it's better to just play. And if you if you end up playing something great, perfect. If not, then that gets scrapped or maybe you listen to it years down the road and realize it wasn't as bad as you thought. But that session, for example, I, I remember details about it in some sense. Um, other, other details, no, I don't remember how I was feeling or what what have you but I know I deliberately set out to make a feedback patch a feedback loop and it started uh, I had no intention of that it would be a certain length I had no intention that it would be um, it would be use certain notes I had no uh, forethought going into the when I would introduce certain elements I know I started playing, and I know that it, it started out really, really mellow, and I started introducing noise, and in, when I'm in the middle of making something like that, it, it's probably in the back of my head that this, this was supposed to be a really serene, peaceful experience for the listener, but the other side of my head is like, I can't say no to this. I might not be able to reproduce this. And I guess that's another, that's a, a really key element also, I guess, in how I, I like to work. I like destructive editing. I like the idea that I will probably not be able to produce something again. And I'm comfortable with that. And I choose techniques, um, structures, instruments that facilitate that. Whereas some people want, they want to be able to compose, arrange, and re-perform something with a reasonable level of recognizing that it's the same track. I have no interest in that whatsoever. So that track is something that I look at as like a monument, like this is exactly who I was at that moment. This is what I was able to produce. I could revisit some of the ideas that went into it or even some of the same tools. And I might consider that the same composition just because I have a loose definition of composition, but um, yeah, that was a really unique, unique experience. And I guess the other, the other thing for me is I'm really, really interested in improv and people like Rodrigo who are pure improvisers mostly, but I love editing. I, I'm kind of vacillated between both where I did music where it was like, I'm recording one or two second snippets of sound and then doing heavy editing with a computer or sampler or something. And that can be rewarding. And I've also done sessions, especially in the drums or other stuff, on the synthesizer where I just would play for 30 minutes or an hour, or even I spent a lot of time just playing piano, which no one has heard. Because I, I would play, listen, and critique 
but never with like a, a, an analysis system in the same manner that Burger uh, Ego has worked on. I know you even mentioned at the beginning here uh, that the album is, you know, designed to be listened to on tape. Um, so yeah. does that physical medium, uh, is that technically another instrument for you? Is that the way you view it as part of your process? Oh, yeah, definitely. But let me, let me set the record straight in a way. It was composed for tape, and uh, there's a lot of the elements that were very, 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 very deliberate as far as what I wanted, how I wanted to use structure. And I talked to the label at Ben Carr. He's really cool. Um, and he probably thought this guy is a complete lunatic because I was, I, I was going off on like, Mukarnas are actually a, an architectural concept, a, an architectural tool that serve a structural and aesthetic purpose. And so, um, this is going to come back around to your question, believe it or not. And so, you know, when I was writing, I had the idea that, you know, I would use delays and loops and things like that in the, to create structure, but the loops and small little sections that I was putting together, um, they serve a dual purpose. They are part of the structure, but they're also part of the beauty to me. Um, and the, the way that they are all arranged is like architecture in a sense, but nothing really concrete. Um, was really loose. Some of the, the ideas, repetition, very important element of the album, which you could probably tell. But so, using composing it for tape, when I knew it was going to be put out on tape, then uh, I guess I was maybe a little more forgiving with because I feel like the why people are listening to tape is because it's raw. There's a, there's you're not going to get perf perfection on a tape, um, and so yeah, in a sense, then that this particular album and everything else that I do it was put out on tape partly because I wanted it to be put out on tape I could have put it out myself in a heartbeat on Bandcamp or something um, but it was every the sounds you're hearing it was recorded on, on cassette I work with cassette decks like um, a printer and I, I'm going to link this to I'm really into um, printmaking in various forms um and one artist that I truly respect as a contemporary and somebody who's into weird music too is Jeff, Jesse Moretti, the basically co-founder, art director, amazing woman behind Leaving Records. And uh, she did an interview a couple years ago. I learned 90% of what I've learned about music from listening and from interviews and all art. She, she said that... Um, she was going through a phase, this was like 2013-14, I guess, where how she was getting fit, somebody asked her, like, does she use digital or, or mainly hand-printed techniques? And she's like, it's basically combinations all the time. She'll take a picture, she spray paint something, take a picture of it, print out the digital picture, use, incorporate that in the next stage of the work. So it was going through these processes of being printed and the limitations and characteristics of each printmaking technique and each digitizing technique um, had an effect on the final product. And in a long story, that's basically 
Mukarnas was put together and that how I worked, but it's in particular that album more than some others that are more direct capturing or recording. Um, I did so many layers and I didn't have software at the time that could multi-track. This is me telling on myself how much nerd I am. Um, so why do I have like these random guitar pedals and instead of putting that money into fixing software, but yeah, um, I couldn't multi-track and I just, I tried figuring out the problem. Now it's fixed and I still just don't have a need to multi-track much, but the whole time I made that album, if I did a, a section of loops or I did an arrangement, I was like, something's missing. I need to add something to it. I couldn't just record over it. I was using mini disc a lot. I was using cassette and I would basically bounce something from the computer or from the mini disc to a tape and re record the next, add that channel to a mixer and record over it for the next part. So yeah, you're hearing a lot of that's where you're hearing some of that hiss and stuff. That might be the the third or fourth pass through tape cassette tape compression and distortion. Interesting. Uh, I feel yeah. like that ties that. really well to keeping you within a structure where you couldn't feasibly ever actually recreate what you're doing anyway. Yeah, like and it is also yeah. funny. It is also funny because then um, there's the discussion online about um, revision. Mm -hmm. I have so many versions of those songs just like floating. And I record over most of them anyway, but some of them, the halfway point or part of the rhythm or like the track that I also sample a lot of my own work that hasn't been released. So then those, I may hear a part of a song and I'm like, oh, I remember where that's from or... I have the B version of that that's slower, or I'd mess a lot with the tempo too on certain stuff, so. The, the, one of the ways that I end up working is, um, I'm, I'm easy to please. It could be the simplest loop, and I'm like, I can listen to this, I'm, this is good. And so sometimes, the compositional process, if I'm if I'm thinking of it that way, is just how much do I have to put? Because I also hear other elements. I'll listen to a simple loop with just drums. And I I'll sing to it, or I'll hear other elements, and that's how I could get some benefit out of it. Yeah. But I, I end up thinking, how much how much am I going to concede? How much will I add so that someone else would find it moderately amusing? Or how many of the melodies that I'm hearing over this am I going to show them? There should always be something hidden where you let them fill in the blanks, in my mind. And that's one where it's like, okay, I, I gave you all more <laughs> than I usually do. Sometimes I would have just put that out as a loop or done some, something dumb over it. But um, And that was one that I could probably not perform live either because it's did involve a little more editing and printing. Um, but yeah, the, the first part, uh, it's, 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 I love, there's something else I'm going to just lay out there. I like tempo shifting. That's something in, in certain musical cultures, one of them being in the Southeast Asia, 
parts of the Philippines, parts of Indonesia. That's an element I don't think is used enough in music, and I love it. Um, and the way I end up doing it a lot of the times, if I'm playing in, in uh, drums live, I can do it by hand. If I'm doing things electronically, now I can mess with stuff with a, um, a synth, but um, generally I'm going to record a, a loop that I like and then use a pitch adjustment in software or tape as it's playing to um, manipulate. And that's one that I did that. And I, I, there's like a little bit of a push and a pull. I don't know. I like it. your history with uh with monom uh with lines yes. as a community um because okay. you don't have a grid right <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a long story no i don't not currently um and i'll tell you why um there's no like particular reason or vendetta or any any issue i have with the grid my history with the with the monom is really simple. I am I was coming from using uh, in my ideal setup probably a decade ago that I've never had, even though I should have been able to afford it. But I would always go on tangents. Is a nice drum set and maybe a Rhodes piano or some other kind of electric piano. Mm. And um, I would always make excuses like, oh, I don't want to pay for a Rhodes or I don't have good mic, so why get a good drum set when no one will be able to hear the difference? Um, and then I guess I realized also all of my ideas about music at that point I was I was also doing a lot of like hip hop production, random stuff, nothing really serious. But I guess m what I was aspiring to do was rooted in like 1970s, and I guess at a certain point in my head, I was like, I 90% of what I listened to was made before I was born, which was mid 80s, and it, I guess at that point, I was like, man. Maybe I should, if I'm going to start sharing my work, I want to see what else is out there. And long story short, the more I listen to, and then even now tracing back to the things that I, I like from the past, a lot of it had electronic or synthesized elements. I just didn't know that that wasn't a guitar or that wasn't, I didn't know how the music was being made. And the more, the more I looked at what was actually modern, the more I looked at, um, how people worked. I also had to acknowledge that a big musical influence was video games. And that's basically how I got into models because the more I looked at video game music and composers, I ended up hearing about uh, Toshio Iwai and Electroplankton and some of the other stuff he had done. And around that time is when he had made the um, Tenorion controller instrument thingy. And I saw a video of someone performing with that, and I just was like, I, that's like exactly how I think of music. I've never thought of it 
musical structure and melody and rhythm on on note on a, a five line staff. I like when I, as soon as I saw someone performing like that, I was drawn to it. And when I started reading about that, I think someone had compared that to the monom, and this was probably like 2007 or something, maybe 2006. And so I read about the monom and was like, oh, never be able to afford that, but it's really cool. And just would lurk, lurk on the uh, the monom forum back then and read different articles, see what was happening. And eventually I did manage to get one. I think I got a one... What did I get? I got a Walnut 128 first. And then eventually used that in tons of music. And it was like my favorite instrument on earth. I, I'm one of those people that really only use limited amount of apps. I don't write my own soft applications. I, I can't make anything in Max. So I pretty much would use um, MLR, mainly because that's what was close to what I was used to. Even though I was drawn to mono because of the Tenorion, I was actually... I'm a, I'm a sample guy. I'm a drum guy. And there, I'm not a MIDI guy. I'm still, until now, I have instruments that I should probably be able to unleash incredible power, but I just, MIDI, this does not make sense to me at all. This is US, this is whether it's software MIDI or actual the DIN cables. So anyway, um, I would just be using MLR and chopping stuff. And I also felt like and this is not a critique of the community, but I always feel like I have a different approach than other people. So I felt like there's this like comes in dialogue for years that people who use them on them all sound the same. So that was also part of in the back of my head. Like this is what will separate me from everyone else using this thing, or at least draw people like, Hey, it can do that. So, yeah. So I had a 128. I was pretty much just chopping samples into interesting stuff in my mind. And then I um, sold that because I wanted to get some instrument that I couldn't afford at the time. And you end up missing it. There's there's really nothing like a mono. I'm sorry. There's, there's things now, but especially at the time, there just was nothing like it, especially the excitement. You're at work and you see you check your phone during your lunch break and it's like someone just released this completely contained free software for an instrument that you have at home. And that's like, you're excited. Like, I have to test this out. I want to see how it works. How it, so yeah, the, having a monom is really cool. The Aleph was like the gateway drug for everything else monom again, because I think I I, ha I had sold the, the 64 a few months before, or like part of the same year that the Aleph came out. And the Aleph is like, to me, it, if that had existed from day one, that's what I would have gotten. It's about audio input and all of that. And so, yeah, I'm kind of rambling, but... Alice was like exactly what I always wanted. Forget MIDI, forget all of this other extraneous stuff that I don't use very much. 
it should have been about processing effects. I love different effects and combining stuff. I love the flexibility that it could be multiple things. Um, and it, it could be, there's always frustration using a monome because you're trying to figure stuff out. There's pretty good documentation now, but that wasn't always the case. So yeah, I went from 12864 Aleph. Then after getting the Aleph, I had this idea like, man, it would be really cool to be able to perform with all mono gear. And so I got a 128 again because there was a lot of the ops that, that used the grid. Yeah. And then uh, I also got a, found an ARC 2. And that setup, oh, I wish I still had that. Um, the only the only modern gear I have right now is teletype in um, the Alice, which the, those are irreplaceable in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you uh, have a kind of like aversion to uh, MIDI, or at the very least, like just being like, "Oh, that world's <laughs> not for me." But for me, it's like Euro <laughs> is this insane tangled oh. mess, where I'm like, "How the yeah. fuck can you decipher that?" Like. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how because it's electricity and wires. And somehow, if I can, like, that's also why I really love um, mixers. And I'm like, a, it's getting really bad. Like, if you, if I count up all of the mixers that I have, various sizes, shapes, inputs, outputs, formats, quality levels, I really like mixers. Some it, it makes sense to me. You know. You can see the wires. That's why it makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. I can see the volume. And I guess I'm also really into just listening where I can hear what I'm doing. And this actually brings me to another interview that's had an impact on me. Nicola Radhi um, from Milan, I think. And he was like, he's, why did they, I think someone asked him why he uses a modular and he was like, He's not using it in the same way other people, even for the sound generation. I hate oscillators. I don't have any oscillators in my small system. Um, that took a while. I, you start by mimicking other people or think, looking at what you think is cool, and you really have to touch it or feel it or use it before you know. And for me, I realized um, what Roddy said, he was like, what he's interested in is the impulse, what's behind what most people are interested in. And that's the actual voltage. That's what interests me too. And that's part of why it makes sense is because I'm usually working with drums now and triggering individual hits of sounds. So then that's really, really, really easy for me to conceptualize because I've been drumming and listening to drums and breaking down rhythms mentally for, for years. So I, it's a different way of working with rhythm and that's also what excites me that I feel like there's a million different ways to create the same drum or the same sound so I'm looking for something that resonates with me and sounds different perhaps but it starts with the process I guess whether it, whether it actually entertains me as I'm making it what was your process like for narrowing down Is it, it's just, it's just buying and with, listening and then selling what doesn't work yeah, that's pretty much it. The reality is, it's a really exciting time. Well, the first thing is that you decide on a format. Um, there's a lot of different types of modular synthesis, and you you have to, I don't know, you have to, everyone will probably come up with different ways. But for me, it ended up being, I decided 
just because of cost, if I got into multiple formats, it was going to be get ugly really fast. So I need I needed to really limit myself in a way other people probably don't. Um, realistically, there is there's like there's things that exist now that just you would have never believed would have existed. There's it's just people designers are really coming up with some cool stuff, and that's an understatement. So I did end up buying and selling a lot of stuff at a loss. Um, and I look back and there's really no shortcut because the only option would have been to not have had one. But then I would have seen some of the cool stuff coming out now and been like, I don't have a case and looked at that as part of the cost. So um, there's stuff coming for, that's come out from whimsical trend um, stuff from mono, like teletype stuff from guys, guy, he's guys, Netherlands, Mengchi from China. I mean, there's, it's, it's absurd how much, how many tools fit my way of thinking and my way of composing and my way of making music and improvising. And a lot of them didn't exist even a year ago. So yeah, if you, if you get into it, you'll probably get into it for one reason and stay for another. What I came to realize once I actually used stuff is that um, circuitry is really powerful. And circuitry, uh, that's another thing I think that's a misconception about the way that we are raised, at least the way I was. You feel like circuitry is machines. Mm -hmm. Circuitry is identical. No. Cir the circuitry is what makes everything unique. And it is a very natural process. It's not a cold machine-made thing. People are designing circuits to work a certain way, and that's what makes their product different than another product. And it's true with musical instruments more than almost any other area of life. Where, yeah, the reason why I said I'm not going to get into designing is because I know that I would not be coming up with anything unique as far as my circuits. So why not, why spend that time trying to design it myself when I can just keep a good eye on people I think, oh, how did I leave out Peter Blasser? Yeah, I mean, these are guys who are literal modern-day geniuses, and they've chosen that their area of, of expression is going to be circuit design and instrument design. So I get to bask in that and, and use, use the tools that they end up coming up with. You don't even associate creativity with certain objects, and that's how it was with the computer for a long time. It was like, oh yeah, you could learn how to make to use a computer and make money, but to make art, to make art, why would you be using a computer? Real artists use this or that or this or that. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, the, that's something. If we come back to like the monom community, I owe a lot to the whole community in a sense, but it, just the existence of the monom was what convinced me that I actually liked electronics and that I actually like electronic music and that 
this is how I want to express my creativity. Like, I haven't played... It's been a long time since I, I sat down and really played other instruments, even though I have interest in them. But, like, I don't know. It's just something really fascinating about using electronics that I can't describe it to other people. It's it's just... It's, really, it's a really rewarding way to work, and it's just kind of... I'm glad I stumbled into it, but it just kind of irks me that people have a lot of misconceptions or just no conception whatsoever. They'll hear a song, so much of what we listen to, whether it's pop or not, is electronic, and people have literally no clue how it's made. And that blows my mind because part of what's inherent in human curiosity is in wanting to know how what you are consuming got to you food clothing everything and it's like people turn off that part of their brain when it comes to music and in some way I'm cool with that because there's some things you will never understand about how whatever art you may like was made but the fact that it's like people don't even attempt to know is kind of amusing to me (laughs) that's part of why I make electronic music because and even why I've tried to be a part of the dialogue that's happening online because um, frankly if you're hiding the way you work or if you're like really holding your cards close it's because you're using a gimmick there's just no other way around it so just being really open about whatever processes that you use or or, um, tools that you use or how you made something is something that I've always been interested in. But then also, um, even after getting a monom, or even after deciding that you are going to make music in this way, you can still be really passive. And I'm guilty of being passive. Like, I've openly admitted I don't make my own apps most of the time. I mean, the most... I'm a um, misappropriator. I like taking something that someone else made and misusing it as far as hitting it myself rarely rarely is ever going to happen but um yeah you could def- that's one aspect where i saw that and even as far as finding music i love like i get almost as much joy out of finding an artist that is doing something interesting or that has produced something worthwhile as i get out of making something i and so you can become a real you could be a, a lover of art or a lover of music and be still be extremely passive just consuming it's all one way so that's i mean the way that i work is kind of um trying to uh, battle that internally just no matter i know that there's some people who have no interest in what i've made uh, just because it's either not up to a certain quality standard or it's very, 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 very melodically or harmonically static some of the time. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a maybe survival sort of situation where this is what I can do. Uh, and so I will do it. And I like it. And I'm not really ashamed of that. But then if I were to, in my perfectionist sense, hold back everything until it was actually an elaborate um, composition that I felt would be very respected, then I would just end up being really passive 90% of the time instead of creative. Yeah, so 
And I, and I also, maybe also, it's a little bit of, I'm so concerned with trying to make something modern, not like I'm, I don't know, that's, I use that word sometimes, but I'm trying to make something new. And not that I am generating or composing things, rhythms, or melodies that have never been played. That doesn't necessarily interest me. If I stumble on that, it's, I will definitely be interested to see how that happens. Um, but I've, that's not my end goal. So when I say making modern music, to me, it's almost like, how do you define making jazz or what is hip hop? Like everyone has these nebulous answers. I have my own feelings and my feelings about how modern music is made. You can't dismiss the computer as a tool. I really genuinely feel like everyone has uh, artistic talent in an area, some area. It could be design, it could be music, it could be cooking, it could be some other craftsmanship. Um, it could be ling linguistics or uh, literary talent. Um, but I think that so many people end up just suppressing it or not putting much value in their own contribution. And so they don't actually share it or they don't actually nurture their talent or work on it. And it, it, it's lost in a way. So I just really feel strongly that, um, and it, I feel like it, it means more. Like Kaufman said, if you were to get attention for doing something that actually wasn't you, other people will enjoy it, <laughs> but there's no satisfaction in, in you because then there's always the question where like, yeah, they only like me because I compromise. Mm. But if you find even one or two other people that it really hits home with when it was straight from from your heart or straight from your the way that you were approaching the work, it really is, it's, it's crazy. And, and that's when I guess I've been a, a little fortunate there's I'm under no illusion that I have like tons of fans or anything but it it just trips me out to know and that anybody else really enjoys it because I'm I work on stuff and some of it is um, and it's not as if I'm saying that any of my work is, is particularly challenging I just think it would probably just be boring to someone else because it's very personal I, I don't know is the first episode of sound and process thank you so much for joining us thank you to jonathan for being so giving of your time and talent and thank you to ray tracer for uh, asking the question that inspired this podcast as well as its title uh, for more glia check out soundcloud.com slash glia g-l-i-a to purchase macarnas on tape or digital download that is finery p-h-i-n-e-r-y .bandcamp.com uh, to join the Monum community, see what it's all about. That is LLLLLLLL.co, eight L's in a row.co. Next month, we'll have Sound and Process episode two. Can't confirm who that is just yet, but there will be an episode. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.